You're listening to the Australian Water Association podcast series. I'm Ellen Fanning and I'm joined by Ryan Brocci, GHD Service Line Leader for Integrated Water Management, along with Carrie Wills, who's Sewerage Network Operations Engineer at Icon Water, and she completed the work we're discussing today while on secondment in the Strategy and Analytics team. And the paper we're discussing is called Canberra's 50-Year Sewerage Strategy and Adaptive Pathways Approach. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Hello. Let's start at the very beginning. When you were developing a long-term strategy for the ACT sewerage system, what were the sorts of uncertainties that arose in trying to do that longer-term planning? I think, um, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll have a go at this one. Uh, it, it sort of speaks to what we were thinking or why we were looking at needing an adaptive-type um, strategy. Uh, we were... Uh, looking at um, uh, the strategy that we'd done in 2010 for the sewerage system and uh, we were sort of 2010 in a sort of 50-year planning horizon isn't that long ago Um, but and looking at all the things that had changed since we'd um, completed that strategy and it it made us realize that 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 the pace of change in the sort of external environment and even the internal environment is, is too fast really to be making these sort of long-term plans that trying to predict what's going to happen in 50 years is darn near impossible. Um, and so that's why we sort of turned to uh, these adaptive um, planning techniques uh, to allow us to create something that we wouldn't have to renew in another um, 10 years or so or that, that would remain sort of live and and active over our planning horizon. And the sorts of um, trends and shocks that you talk about in the paper relate to things like population growth and land use, how customers behave, um, societal and environmental perspectives, politics, technology, climate change. So all these variables, um, in a sense, known unknowns, (laughs) are floating around in the background as you're trying to make these plans. Yes, and and they're the those are the factors. I think that the one that really stood out um, from our two thousand and ten plan was something as basic as our population growth in in the ACT. Um, we were looking at a very different uh, population growth than what was predicted in that plan, and um, and and the pattern of that population in terms of uh, greenfield development and and infield densification. Um, development as well. So the mix of development we were experiencing was quite different to what we were planning for, but, you know, only 10 years ago. So uh, all of those factors are, are changing on, you know, relatively rapidly on this time scale. So Kerry, when you start then thinking about the concept of a living strategy, what did that mean to the organisation? It meant that this was something that uh, we we weren't expecting and it, to have all of the decisions made and a line drawn under it um, for uh, this strategy. It, that it the way that these adaptive um, sort of planning tools work is that there's there's a number of different uh, uh, points that you will get to. Uh, that will trigger a decision having to be made. Um, 
And so it sort of creates this iterative uh, planning process where you're sort of uh, you're monitoring the external environment um, and you're monitoring those metrics that you know will trigger a decision. Um, and then you're taking that change and you're going back to the plan and you're uh, updating the plan as all of that information comes in. So it's it's not a static plan uh, that with dates that that say when you need to upgrade, for instance, um, or make some other sort of change. It's it's a plan that's constantly being renewed and updated, and that that's uh, what we were thinking of as it being a, this living document. And Ryan, it it says in the paper that you know none of what you developed would have been useful unless they had been communicated and understood by the broader organisation. So when you started, you established the principle of having a highly collaborative approach. Um, who was in the room uh, in that working group when you, you sat down to start to develop the strategy? Yeah, doing an adaptive plan is a fundamental shift in the way that strategies are done. And it involves moving away from this sort of fairly rigid and, and controlled time-based planning to decision-based planning. And that uh, and that requires a change in the way that uh, a lot of things are done within an organisation. And so because of that fact, there needed to be um, a wide range of people in the room because it doesn't just affect the people who are doing the detailed planning. It affects the people within the organisation who need to make decisions. And, um, and being a living plan, it touches all parts of an organisation and it requires that broad understanding and contribution. And, and what an interesting... Um thing to learn that, you know, it's so obvious, isn't it? But it was so deliberative in the way that you did it, that you're not going to develop a strategy and then try and sell it in the organisation. You're going to do it the other way around. There was a very interesting bit of thinking that went on in terms of sitting down in that workshop and thinking what the critical drivers of change might be, and then kind of putting them into one of two columns and thinking about, well, what would the impact on Icon's ability um, to deliver services B from that that driver, and then what is the uncertainty around that? So just talk to me about that notion of sitting down and scratching your heads collectively and saying, okay, let's think about uncertainty versus impact. Yeah, so it's a really it's a really um, interesting and I guess a critical process in as part of adaptive planning, but also but also as part of uh, scenario planning exercises, and so that's thinking about what are those uncertainties or those drivers of change and uncertainty that are going to impact you? And thinking about um, and thinking broadly about, you know, which ones may have a material impact because in a lot of, in a lot of scenario thinking exercises, it's very tempting to get carried away and, and be blue sky and think about um, artificial intelligence and robots and a whole range of things that will never actually materially change uh, what you're doing or, or impact the system that you're working with. And so this is a, a filtering process. Firstly, it's about whiteboarding and getting all the ideas down on the page and then going through a prioritization to figure out, A, what are these drivers? How certain are we that they will occur or uncertain that they'll occur? And then um, separately thinking about, okay, well, how does that impact us and what we're trying to do? And, and that um, would be terrific, Ryan, but entirely useless if you then went, we are so clever, this has been a great process, let's put it in the drawer. But instead what you went on to do was identify triggers and thresholds um, 
so that you didn't have to operate with the benefit of hindsight. You could say, well, what are the things that, get, that are going to um, become decision points for us and how can we anticipate those? Now, how did you get from five scenarios to those really concrete um, points of identifying these are the thresholds, these are the decision points, these are the triggers for action? Yeah, and it's it's a really critical step in the process and it's probably the most challenging step in the process. And so taking those scenarios, which is, which is often the really fun bit of any of these exercises, um, thinking broadly about what the future might look like and coming up with some crazy ideas about how your city might look 50 years from now and then doing that really hard bit of thinking, which is, um, which is basically how, does, how do these scenarios... Uh, impact us um, how and then how does our system perform under these scenarios and so it's going through that testing exercise and so and, and we, we like to start with a base case because that's a that's a line in the sand and using a base case we can think about how does our system how does our option um, perform in terms of when does it when does it reach its capacity where when when do key assets reach their end of life when are there sort of biophysical or infrastructure-related um, uh, thresholds or, or, or um, points that are reached in the system that might require you to make a decision, either upgrading something or going down a different path? And that's sort of the first step of decision-making. And thinking through that base case thinking, um, as I'd like to call it, is, uh, is really important because it gives you a starting point. And then looking at the different scenarios, we start to layer in some of the other thinking. And we, can, and, and we tend to do it by looking at elements of the scenario. So we might focus on a particular variable. So, uh, for instance, government policies on future options or uh, what happens if uh, an energy or carbon requirement comes in or, or regulation of wastewater discharges, river systems is changed. And then just asking, going through that decision test as a group, asking, well, what does this change? Does it change the way that we think about the option? Is the option still viable? Would we need to do any other, anything else to keep the option available? And so it's going through a series of decision tests and, or thought tests and actually seeking to understand what, what would change. And so that's how you achieve what you call in the paper that fostering of an up and outward uh, approach within the organisation, the whole organisation, to looking at the external environment. Um, what did you have to do once you had developed um, this strategy to sort of populate that to the organisation, to communicate that? Because it's quite a detailed and nuanced approach. Right from the start of this process, we were... Um focused on uh, communication and how we would communicate um, this project. And in fact, a big part of it uh, was developing uh, uh, interactive communication materials. Um, and and when we're sort of talking about upward and, and out, the, the part of the strategy work, it's um, at, at the moment, it's looking sort of internally, or we were sort of going to internal stakeholders. But we also were thinking to the future that at some point we're going to want to get uh, external buy-in for the way that we're doing our strategy and um, managing these assets. So we uh, developed a, a website. Well, it's a 
uh, yeah, I guess it, it's a website. It's, it's kind of part of one of our websites that we have already. Um, and I'm, to be honest, I'm not actually sure if it's live at this point in time, but uh, it, it essentially allows you to go through and have a look at how the uh, strategy is developed and look at the different scenarios. Um, and as part of that, we also developed two uh, videos, short videos, explaining how uh, scenario development works and the adaptive, dynamic adaptive pathways uh, mapping of the diagrams work uh, and really this was we knew that for a strategy to to be useful uh, it it needs to be understood uh, by the, the the people who need to use it people who need to and and it's not just that it's it's giving a sense of understanding and trust uh, within the organisation and outside the organisation, that that these um, plans are going to give us the ability to adapt in a changing environment, uh, and and that uh, this sort of planning is robust and it, it's going to steer us in the right direction into the future. And so, there there was a lot of having to develop because they are very new concepts. Uh, and and like Ryan was saying before, it's sort of a sh fundamental shift in the way this planning was conducted. Uh, that we needed to sh uh, build that sort of shared vocabulary, and build an understanding of how the planning works. Uh, and so that's why we focused quite a lot on on how it was communicated, and we didn't want it to be a static document that just went out that was a million pages long and would sit on people's shelves. Uh, and so that's this sort of interactive um, communication piece was, was how we went about doing that. Thank you to Ryan Brocci, GHD's Service Line Leader for Integrated Water Management, and Carrie Wills, Sewerage Network Operations Engineer at Icon Water, who completed this work, Canberra's 50 Years Sewerage Strategy and Adaptive Pathways Approach, while she was on secondment in the strategy and analytics team. Thanks to you both. Thank you very much, Ellen. Thank you, Ellen.